So if um, any of you have diamonds or are aware of diamonds, you recognize that if you take a diamond and you put it in light, and you, you can kind of turn it and you see various different colors and you see these different colors, however, it's the same diamond. Well, this week, we are back in the, the book of Exodus. And we've continuously been seeing is with, is with these plagues, God is revealing himself to the nation of Egypt. And we saw with the first three plagues that he was revealing himself who he is. But now as we go through these next four, or excuse me, the next six plagues, plagues four through nine, we're kind of turning that diamond. And we're saying, okay, God's revealed himself in this way, in this way, in this way. And each time we go to a new plague, God is revealing who he is. And what we kind of place before you as we look at this text has been that wherever we place our ultimate trust is where we ultimately end up directing our worship. Wherever we place our ultimate trust is where we direct our worship. And so this book, Exodus, as I've said, has just continuously been one instance after the other of the Lord revealing himself. He revealed himself to Moses. He made himself known to Aaron, to Israel. He made himself known to Pharaoh, made himself known to Egypt. He continues to make himself known to other nations through what he's doing through Israel at Egypt and when they go out. And then he also makes himself known to future generations, as we're going to see in this text. But the whole theme of this book is God making himself known. God revealing who he is. And this, is the same, this passage today has the same main point, the same thrust as last week, but we're just kind of looking at it from a little bit of a different angle. So the main thrust of this passage, if you didn't remember last week's, is that the Lord is the one true God. Therefore, our ultimate trust and worship belong to him. The Lord, Yahweh, is the one true God. Therefore, our ultimate trust and worship belongs to him. So like I said, last week, uh, the Lord revealed the first set of his signs and wonders, also known as the plagues, not just to Pharaoh, but to all of Egypt. And he's also revealing them to Israel, showing what he can do, why he is worthy of their trust and their worship. And each sign or plague reveals something that the Egyptians had placed their trust in and therefore had ended up worshiping. And God is exposing each of those things to be unworthy of the Egyptians' trust, and unworthy of the Egyptians' worship. And now this week, we see six more plagues, plagues four through nine. So if you would, turn with me to Exodus chapter eight. That's where we're going to start. And if you're using one of the blue provided Bibles, that's going to start on page 50. As we often say, if you don't own a Bible, then consider that blue one right there a gift from our church to you. We hope you take that and read it and are further convinced of who God says he is by spending time in his word. And as we go through this passage, you'll see in your bulletin there, there are two points. Think that the first set of these plagues, plagues four through six, are really hammering home the distinction that God makes. So that first blank in your outline is going to be distinction. And then plagues seven through nine, he's hammering home death. So distinction and death are the two points that are in your bulletin. But let's read, and we're going to read Exodus chapter 8, and we're going to go through 9, verse 12. So we're not going to go through the whole passage here, but we will touch on the whole passage. But to start us off, we're going to read Exodus chapter 8, starting in verse 20. This is God's word. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me, or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so. For the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I'm going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart, this time also, and did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. 
God, we ask that as we look at your word this morning, that you would help us to understand what it says and teach us what to do in light of what your word says. Help us to obey you fully and place our full trust and worship in you and you alone. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we go through these plagues, I'm just going to put it out before you right now that you're going to see a lot of repetition, a lot of patterns taking place that were also in the first three plagues and are also going to be in the second set of plagues of, for plagues four through six and then also going to be in the third set of plagues of plagues seven through nine. Because remember, each of these plagues are given in kind of these sets of three and there's a similar pattern that's going on. So in the first two plagues of each set, so one through three, four through six, seven through nine, in the first two plagues of each of those, we see Pharaoh getting a warning. And again, in the fourth plague here, he gets a warning from Moses. And that, that warning each time, the first one is in the morning. And then later, Moses goes into Pharaoh's palace. He goes into Pharaoh to, to share another warning with him. And then what we see with the third plague of each set is that it's the most significant of each of them. However, it also comes without warning. And so God, with this fourth plague, is essentially saying to Pharaoh, hey, I'm, I'm warning you, if you don't let my people go, if you don't let them go out, then I'm going to send the flies in. And Egypt, of course, as you probably have already anticipated, had a fly god. It was a, a god, or a goddess, excuse me, called Uachit, which was the goddess of the flies. And in ancient Egypt, flies symbolized at least two things, symbolized Military strength and protection. Military strength and protection. In fact, military leaders were given fly pendants as rewards for military victories. If you want to be honored as a, a man of the military, one of the things that you would get is a pendant with a fly on it saying you are a man of military strength. You have protected the nation of Egypt. Egyptians also uh, would wear these fly amulets, these beads, as a symbol of protection. And so what the Egyptians trusted for strength and protection was actually being turned against them. God was pointing out the foolishness of where they had placed their trust and where they had placed their worship. They had placed their trust and worship in these false gods and in insects. Now God is pointing out the foolishness of that. But now here for the first time in this fourth plague, for the first time, we see something that we didn't see in the first three. We see an explicit distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now, there may have been a distinction beforehand, but now we see one explicitly laid out. So the author here, Moses, is trying to really help us understand that this is something significant. God says in verse 22 that he'll set apart the land of Goshen where his people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there. So why the distinction? Why does God make this distinction? Why does he do it explicitly? Well, he tells Pharaoh why. He says, so that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Remember, the theme of Exodus is God making himself known. And these plagues are to help Pharaoh, help Egypt and the nations around him realize who Yahweh is, who the Lord is. Is. And so God says, I'm now going to make a distinction. These plagues are going to just specifically fall on Egypt so that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. These other false gods that you want to worship, 
They're not real. They're unable to protect you. They're not worthy of your trust and your worship. I alone am. That's what God is trying to get through to Pharaoh. So he's progressively making himself known to this king of Egypt. Now, in response, Pharaoh begins to obey God's command. You see that in verse 25. However, it's only partial obedience. Pharaoh says, go, in the second half of verse 25, says, go, sacrifice to your God. And what's that next part say? Within the land. Sacrifice to him within the land. I know I'm supposed to send you out so that you can sacrifice to him and worship him outside of the land. You know what? I'm okay. You guys go ahead and, and go worship and sacrifice the Lord your God. Just do it within the land. Moses, in response, informs him that God's command to Pharaoh was not to let his people stay within the land to worship God. It was to let his people go out of the land to worship him. We see that in verses 26 and 27. Pharaoh was okay with them worshiping the Lord, but on his terms, within the land. And friends, partial obedience, what Pharaoh was trying to get through here, partial obedience, is not obedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. I have to have these conversations with my kids all the time. Partial obedience is not obedience. Mommy and daddy say that you have to do this and this, and you only do the first part, you still haven't obeyed. Pharaoh says that the people eventually, after Moses pushes back a little bit, Pharaoh says the people can go out of the land, but he says they need to stay close. They need to stay close. So immediately after agreeing to that, he tells Moses, please plead for me. Intercede for me. And Moses agrees to, but he warns Pharaoh, don't go back on your word again. You've already gone back on your word before. Don't do it again. Things won't go well for you. See, Moses is concerned that Pharaoh is only agreeing to obey God so that his suffering will be removed. And how often are we tempted to do the same thing? We go through a difficult time in life. Oh, now I'm going to get right with God. I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do what he says. And then as soon as things get a little bit better, we go right back to the way that we were. And we see that take place right here with Pharaoh. Moses pleads with the Lord to remove the flies. God does mercifully and graciously remove them. Yet, Pharaoh changes his mind and further hardens his heart toward God. So a question that might be popping up at this point in the plagues is why does God continue to agree to remove the plagues if he knows that Pharaoh is just going to change his mind? Why? He's omnipotent. He knows all things. He knows that Pharaoh is going to change his mind, yet he still removes the plagues from him. Well, the reason is to reveal himself further. He removes this plague, Pharaoh hardens his heart, and then he has reason to bring on more plagues. And these more plagues, as each plague is added on, it grows in intensity and it also grows in revealing how powerful the Lord really is. It's to reveal himself further. It's also to show, and this is important for us to recognize, it's also to show that the Lord is ready and willing to accept a plea of mercy from anyone who comes to him. Friends, no matter what you have done in your lives, if you go to the Lord and plead with him for mercy to remove your sin, he is ready and willing to take that away from you. He wants 
to reveal himself further. He wants, as Matthew Henry put it, he wants Pharaoh to realize that the design of the plague was not to bring Pharaoh to ruin, but to bring him to repentance. God wanted to bring Pharaoh to repentance. However, Pharaoh digs his heels in, which then leads us to the fifth plague. And so in the fifth plague, we see, once again, as the pattern continues, Moses goes and gives Pharaoh a warning. It's a one-day warning. It's another chance to submit to God before God brings judgment upon Egypt. And as anticipated, Pharaoh does not submit to the Lord, and Egypt's livestock die, just as the Lord had warned. Friends, this isn't even in my notes, but I just want to put this before you again. Every time the Lord says he's going to do something, he does. We can trust that when he says something is going to happen, it will. When we read his word, every time he says, I will be with you, I will never leave you or forsake you, when he says that he's going to bring judgment upon the world, when he says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, you can trust that that is, in fact, true. But this plague, the fifth one, is more intense than the fourth one. And the intensity of these plagues, as I said, just continued to increase. A while ago, this is probably like 10 years ago now, there was a, a video that went viral of this guy putting on a dog shot collar. And he went from levels one to five, and five being the worst. And it's, it's actually a pretty hysterical video. And there's probably several renditions of it now. But as things got worse, he began to realize, I'm in trouble. And these plagues that God is sending upon Egypt are to make Pharaoh realize, I'm in trouble. And he continues to increase the intensity so that Pharaoh would come to repentance. The Nile to blood, I mean, changing the Nile to blood was frightening, I'm sure. I mean, can you imagine a river flowing with blood? But it, the Egyptians were still able to find more water. They dug underneath the ground and they were able to find more water. No one's, no one's dying because of this. It's frightening, but it's not life-threatening. Frogs everywhere, the second plague, that's inconvenient and a little creepy, but it's not life-threatening. Gnats being all over the place, again, annoying, but not life-threatening. Now, swarms of flies, as we read in verse 24, this gets a little bit more intense. We read in verse 24 that throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. So this land of Egypt, that includes Egypt's fields and crops as a food source. And so there's a distinction now where Egypt's food source is being decimated, but Israel's in the land of Goshen is preserved. It's fine. But the plagues increase. So this fifth plague, the livestock die, which happens to be another food source for the Egyptians. Now that's being removed. And now what we see here in this fifth plague is that death is being introduced. So previously, just annoyance, there's a frightening scene or something annoying, but now death is being introduced to these plagues. And the livestock dying humiliates at least two Egyptian gods. The first one is Hathor, which was a mother goddess, which was depicted as a cow, and Hathor's son, Apis, who was depicted as a bull. Now, again, there's a distinction Egypt's livestock all die, not one remains alive. And Israel's livestock, not one dies. They all remain alive. We see that in verse 6, chapter 9, verse 6. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. 
Now, in verse 7, we see that Pharaoh sees this, but it's still not enough to bring him to repentance. And rather, his heart, once again, is hardened, which leads us to the sixth plague, boils. Now, this one, because remember, sets of three, one through three, four through six, seven through nine. The third one in each of those, so plague number three, plague number six, and plague number nine, don't come with a warning. And so here we see there is no warning for the boils. And this warning, or excuse me, this plague, hits a little closer to home. So rather than the plagues afflicting their land, or their river, or their crops, or their food sources like the livestock, this plague narrows down onto the Egyptians' own bodies. Yet, once again, we see another distinction. These boils are only on the Egyptians. See that in verse 9 and verse 11. God's people were spared yet again. And this is an assault on at least two other Egyptian gods, Imhotep and Sekhmet, the god of medicine and the goddess of medicine. So these gods and, and goddesses that they would trust to heal them, God is exposing them to be unable to heal their boils. If they're gods of medicine, can't help them, then perhaps there's one other option, the magicians. So you see that the Egyptians then re-enter onto the scene. Now, they've been conspicuously quiet. They, have, they were uh, embarrassed in the third plague, where when the gnats came, they said, look, this is clearly the finger of God. We can't replicate this. And then when we tried to replicate the Nile and the frogs, they essentially just scored on their own team. They did the same thing. Rather than, sending those, rather than reversing what God had did, they just did the same thing. And so for plagues four and five, they're noticeably absent. Now in plague six, we see their utter defeat. Look at verse 11. We see the magicians could not stand before Moses. So friends, the magicians are brought to their knees. And that's the last time that we're going to read about the Egyptians in the book of Exodus. So the, or the, the magicians in the book of Exodus. So the Egyptians were trying to place their trust and their, their worship and their, their confidence in everything but the Lord. They trusted in their false gods. They trusted in Pharaoh, as we'll continue to see. And they trusted in their magicians. And right here, we see the Egyptians fall off the scene for the rest of the book. They are no longer worthy of any trust, and it seems that the Egyptians realize that. Now, with these plagues, four through six, let's notice what's being revealed about the Lord in these plagues. So whether it's the land, whether it's the livestock, or whether it's the boils, God makes a clear distinction between his people and those rejecting him. There's a clear line in the sand drawn. And notice, he only brings judgment. He only brings the plagues upon those who are rejecting him. But also notice, he graciously offers a warning to them to let them know that judgment is coming. He's ready to offer mercy the moment they would turn away from their rebellion. We also see that eventually those warnings are removed. And judgment does come, and it comes in the form of plagues. God's people are spared from those. 
and look, not one trace. It's not that the, the plagues happened and only a little bit happened to God's people. We see not one trace of the plague taking place in the land of Goshen or happening to the people of Israel. We see there's no swarm of flies in their land. Not one of their livestock dies, and not one boil is found on their body. And this theme of God's people being set apart from Egypt will continue on for the rest of the plagues. It's something that's going to remain constant. And so rather than trusting their goddess of flies for protection and strength, the Egyptians should have trusted the Lord for protection and should have looked to him for strength. And so friends, when life feels beyond your control, when the future seems frightening, where do you go for protection and where do you go for strength? Where does your confidence lie? Rather than taking trust in their cow-depicted mother goddess to provide for them, the Egyptians should have trusted the Lord as their fatherly provider. Friends, where do you look for provision? And rather than trusting their God of medicine for healing, they should have turned to the Lord to heal their bodies and their souls. Medicine is a good gift from God. Don't want to downplay that at all. But it isn't God. Where is your ultimate confidence? Where do you go for healing? And again, that is not to say that you shouldn't go to doctors or shouldn't go to medicine. But we can't elevate those above our confidence in the Lord. And those who continue to reject the one true God will eventually face physical and spiritual death, which leads us into that second point. So we now see the seventh plague. Look with me, if you would, in Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. I'm going to read a few verses here. So verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send. Get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the Lord, feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh, hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Pharaoh receives another warning. And this, this is a, a really gracious warning. God says, look, I'm not only going to send this, but I'm telling you, get your slaves, get your livestock, get, get them, get these animals, get them into shelter. 
Because if this hail falls on them, they will die. But again, this, there's a distinction between Egypt and Israel. That distinction remains. And so if Pharaoh doesn't submit to the Lord, then Egypt, not Israel, will suffer. Plagues will fall on Pharaoh, his servants, and the Egyptian people. But notice the purpose in verse 14. The purpose for why he's doing that so that he may know that there is none like the Lord in all the earth. Again, God is making himself known. Now, this is a massive plague. And it brings death. So, so earlier, death was introduced to the livestock. Now, it brings death to not just the livestock. It brings death on all fronts. We see that uh, every plant of the field, the crops, so earlier those were affected by the flies. See that in plague four. We also see that this brings death to animals. So earlier, livestock, uh, the livestock was killed. Now, other unprotected animals are going to die. And now, we also see death for the first time on people. So prior to this, the Egyptians experienced sores or boils on their bodies, but it didn't lead to death. But now, death is introduced to Egypt's people. And friends, it's done in a terrifying way. I mean, can you, can you imagine the scene. Hail, large enough to kill anything it lands on. I've been in hailstorms. I have not been in that kind of hailstorm. Hail, large enough to kill anything. It's like bowling balls falling out of the sky, maybe larger. But it's not just hail. Look, look at verse 23 and 24. We see Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord, ra and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Egypt's never experienced anything like this. Experienced storms, but nothing like this. And this is a, a direct attack on their sky goddess called Nut. And she was unable, as God makes very clear, unable to hold back this storm, unable to protect Egypt from this storm. Now, a question as we read those verses there, the fire flashing, is, is that really just lightning? Maybe, but I'm actually inclined to think that, that it's not lightning, and here's why. So there's a Hebrew word for lightning, and that word is barak. Now, we see that in Exodus 19. We also see it in Exodus 20. The Hebrew word used here is esh. And that word means fire. In fact, it's used 365 times in the Old Testament. And out of 365 times, 363 are used to describe fire. And so I think there's a pretty solid case that this right here is, in fact, referring to fire, literal fire, not lightning, which, follow me, which indicates that what God is doing to Egypt is turning it not just into a place of death, with the hail killing everything that it lands on, but turning it into a place that resembles hell. There's hail, there's thunder, and there's fire. What comes from the sky turns Egypt into something that it has never seen before. Egypt trusted their sky goddess, Nut, and that trust has led their land be turned into a hellish wasteland. And so Pharaoh quickly calls for Moses. 
And he says he'll let the people go. You can imagine he's probably terrified. And he begs Moses to plead with the Lord to make this plague stop. And as the pattern goes, probably getting tired of it at this point, but as the pattern goes, Moses agrees, he pleads with the Lord, but Pharaoh goes back on his word and doesn't let the people go, which then brings us to the eighth plague, locusts. Now, again, Moses is told to warn Pharaoh. However, this time it's a little bit different. He's told to go in and warn Pharaoh, but this time he's told beforehand that Pharaoh won't listen because his heart is hardened. Yet, even, even knowing that Pharaoh won't listen, Moses still obeys the Lord, and he still goes in and warns Pharaoh. Now, why? Why in the world would he go in knowing that he's not going to be, quote, successful in changing Pharaoh's mind? Well, because, friends, success in the Christian life isn't defined by outward measurables. Success is faithfulness. So oftentimes, our faithfulness is used in ways we would never expect. Why in the world would God have Moses go to Pharaoh if he knew Pharaoh wouldn't change his mind? He tells him why. So that Pharaoh, when he does reject God, that more signs would be brought thus making the Lord known to more people. And by showing more signs, Moses will have more to share with his children and grandchildren. Look at verse 2 there. Actually, about halfway through verse 1. God says, For I have hardened his heart, Pharaoh's heart, and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. God knows that Pharaoh is not going to respond in the way that he would like to see him respond. But he's using Moses being faithful and warning Pharaoh and Pharaoh rejecting that to bring about more signs so that Moses would have more to tell his children and his grandchildren about how magnificent the Lord is. Our faithfulness is used oftentimes in ways we do not expect. And so, Christian, the next time you're convinced that your obedience to God won't make any difference in the lives around you, stay faithful. You just don't know how God will use your faithfulness to accomplish his greater purposes. Moses' full obedience ended up being a blessing to his children and his children's children. Yet, in stark contrast to Moses' full obedience, we see Pharaoh's partial obedience. In verse 7, Pharaoh's servants persuade him that Egypt is ruined and they should actually start to listen to Moses and Aaron. And so to avoid the next plague, Pharaoh brings Moses and Aaron in, brings them back in to negotiate. So he says they can go, but here's what he wants to know. He wants to know who's going, which he's assuming is not everyone. Verse 8, Exodus 10, verse 8. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Well, Moses says it's everyone, young and old, plus their flocks and herds. And Pharaoh says only the men can go, so he can't take the children, which, is, again, is a partial obedience to the Lord's command. That doesn't cut it, and as we see in the rest of uh, this portion, that the locusts, as God warned, come upon Pharaoh and Egypt, which leads to Egypt's remaining food source 
being absolutely decimated. Look at verse 15 of chapter 10. Locusts ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plants of the field through all the land of Egypt. And this revealed the inability of several more of Egypt's gods. Osiris, who we had mentioned earlier as the god of the afterlife, was also the god of the agriculture and vegetation. Nepri, who was the god of grain. Anubis, who was guardian of the fields. And Senehem, who was protector against pests. All four, and likely more, were exposed as being unable to protect the Egyptians, as being exposed as frauds, that, that the Egyptians' trust and worship should not have been in them. The Lord wins again. And so now, rather than calling his false gods, rather than calling the magicians, Pharaoh quickly calls in Moses and Aaron. We see this in verse 16 and 17. He says, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. Everything in Egypt is dying. And Pharaoh knows it. The crops, the plants, the fruits, the animals, the people. And so Moses agrees to plead with the Lord again to remove the plague. And the Lord does so. Look at verse 19, chapter 10. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But again, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, which leads us to the ninth plague, where there's no warning. He's warned that darkness, or excuse me, we're told that darkness comes upon the land of Egypt. And in fact, it's pitch darkness. And it comes over the land of Egypt for an interesting amount of time. Do you see how much time it's brought there? For three days, which shows the, in, the insufficiency of Egypt's sun god, Ra. Pharaoh, in fact, was believed to be the son of Ra. And it's so dark, we're told that it was dark enough to be have any of you been in a cave before? So if you've been in a cave and you've turned the lights out, you realize that this is not just dark. This is hopelessly dark. We are not going to be able to see anything. There is no source of light. The kind of darkness that brings hopelessness. It can be felt. Egyptians couldn't see each other and no one left their house. And so look, Egypt has essentially been beaten to death by the Lord. There's been a distinction made between Israel and Egypt, and Egypt has been bludgeoned. And now, after being essentially beaten to death, they're now figuratively laid in a tomb. We see that the lights go out, and there's no movement or sign of life for three days. But there is a distinction. This whole time, God's people have light. And so Pharaoh, again, seeks to assuage God's judgment through partial obedience. He now says Israel can go. They can even take their children, but not their flocks and herds. And to go, to fast forward here, Moses says that won't work. Pharaoh's heart becomes hardened. And what we see in these plagues is that Pharaoh's rebellion and his partial obedience brought judgment and death upon Egypt. Egypt received God's judgment for Pharaoh's rebellion. Why? Because their trust was ultimately in Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods rather than the Lord. And look, friends, we'd be missing the point if we looked at Egypt and said, I would never do that. We'd be missing the point. In fact, we're closer to Egypt 
than we are Moses and Israel. We are so prone to put other things ahead of God and to place our ultimate trust and confidence, and whether we realize it or not, our worship in those things. And God is trying to systematically remove those from the Egyptians in the same way he's going to try to systematically remove them from our lives. It might not look like plagues, might not look like locusts, but may look like other things, and we should not be unaware to the way God is trying to open our eyes to see that we have placed something in front of him. However, like Egypt, Jesus received God's judgment for his people's rebellion. Both Egypt and Jesus were beaten beyond recognition. Both Egypt and Jesus were placed in darkness for three days. But here's the distinction. Only one rose from death victoriously. And now all who trust in Jesus are promised in that same victory over the grave. We read John 8, 12 to open up our service where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, I would encourage you, repent and believe the gospel. Jesus says, if you come to me, you will walk in light. You'll have victory over death. But partial obedience to that command still leads to death. Pharaoh tried this several times, and each time it brought God's judgment. And so three lessons I want us to see from these plagues. Three lessons. One, the Lord alone is worthy of your ultimate trust and worship. Nothing else is worthy. Nothing else can save you. Two, God has always and will always make distinctions between his people and those who rebel and reject him. And then three, those who reject him receive judgment, eternal death. But those who submit to him receive his mercy and grace with eternal life. So if you want to submit to God today, here's how you do it. You confess your sin. You confess to God that you are a sinner and a rebel in need of forgiveness, just like the Egyptians were called to do, just like Pharaoh was called to do. We humble ourselves and confess, God, I have gone against you. I need your forgiveness. I've spent your, my whole life rejecting you. I've given my love, my trust, my worship to something or someone other than you. And then two, you trust Jesus Christ alone to make you right with God. That his payment on the cross was sufficient to pay for your sin. That when he rose on the third day, that's evidence that he is victorious. And that is your future resurrection if you are in him. Look, we trust that his payment was sufficient to remove all of our sin, all of our debt. Moses pleaded with God to remove the flies. And what do we read? God does. And not a single locust was left. It's an important thing there. Not a single one was left. We also read that Moses pleaded with God to remove the locusts. Not a single locust was left. So not a single fly and then not a single locust. And friend, if you plead with God to remove your sin, to remove the debt that you owe him for rebelling against him. He will. Like the flies and the locusts, not one outstanding debt will remain. Not one sin will remain. God will wash you clean with the blood of his son. And he will wrap you in Jesus' perfect holiness and righteousness. 
and obedience. And so if you're not a Christian today, I'll leave you with one question birthed out of chapter 10, verse 3. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before the Lord? Trust Christ alone as both your Lord and your Savior. If you are a Christian, if you are following Christ today, don't fall into the trap of placing your ultimate trust and worship and confidence in anything but the Lord. The Lord is the one true God. Therefore, he and he alone is worthy of our ultimate trust and worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege that it is to call you Father. Help us to place our ultimate confidence in you, in what you have done by sending your Son. Lord, have our confidence be in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us to trust your eternal plan. Help us to trust the Son's payment on the cross and resurrection on the third day to take away our sin and to give us his righteousness and help us trust the Holy Spirit to hold us fast and to sanctify us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.